Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, you can open it to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 63. If this is your first Sunday or you're like, oh, I didn't bring a, church, uh, didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. I uh, would love for you to uh, pull out your smartphone or tablet. Uh, there's an app for that. It's, we uh, recommend version, Y-O-U version, uh, where it allows you to pick a, a version that is good for you and a version that really helps you understand. I'm going to be reading out of the uh, English Standard Version today. You don't have to do that one. Find the one that you like. Uh, but we want everybody to, to have that in front of them. So as you're, you're turning there today, let me, let me catch you up if this is your first Sunday. We are, we've been doing this uh, really cool sermon series through the Psalms called Summer in the Psalms. I think we just called it that because it had alliteration and it made everybody happy and we could remember that people do go to the beach, even though I haven't. So that's cool. Um, but one of the things that is really cool is it gives us uh, a chance to really focus in on what is probably one of the more complex books of the Bible. It is. The book of Psalms is a complex book of, Bi- of the Bible. It's all poetry. And if you remember when you were in school and went through English class and studied poetry, some of us really, really enjoyed it. And some of us said, this is stupid. <laughs> and I don't want to do it. So I know I just said that word on the live stream. I'm sorry. We can get on to me later, Brandon. But uh, one of the things that we want to do is we want to we take these Psalms, we want to look at these Psalms, and we've been uh, tracing this idea, this theme of desire. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we introduced that, and I talked about how um, desiring God is what all of the psalms kind of lead us to, whether they're psalms of extreme praise or they're songs of lament, they're psalms of uh, talking about all of these different various aspects of life. And you have people, you have these authors, these psalmists, who are pouring out their hearts. They're writing their feelings. Um, it's like they're a personal little prayer journal to the Lord. And it's good. It's a good thing because, one, it, it gives us language to wrestle with God over, and, but also— It helps us see how people are desiring God. So we've talked about that. Last week, Mark did a great job uh, talking to us about some of the logistics around that and the practicality of how our desire for God lends itself into a life lived of integrity and how, how we end there. But we're, we're going to take it a little bit deeper today and start answering some questions about desiring God. Because we remember that desire, that word desire, isn't really a good English word for what we're talking about. Uh, remember, we, we talked a little bit about how desiring in our language sometimes just means craving. You know, like I desire coffee this morning. I did not get any. I still have a little bit of a desire for coffee, if I'm honest. Um, I don't think, I'm good. Thanks. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, some of us have a desire for 10.30 p.m. ice cream. Okay? If you were at my house, that's a, a consistent. Like about 10.30 p.m., the episode of TV that we are, have ended is now ended, and we're debating, uh, is it time to go to bed, or is it ice cream in one more episode? Does that happen in anybody else's house or, or just mine? Okay. Now, granted, for me, it, it's less ice cream and more like where are the chips and dip because I crave salt, but, you know, no, no judgment here. Um, uh, but we recognize that those are cravings, right? But we use the word desire. So in, when we talk about desiring God, we're not talking about that. We're talking about this deep, deep need that is only filled by him. 
something that is felt soul deep. Um, and it's not something that we manufacture. It's not something we build. It's something that's more than that. So we've talked about that. And that leaves us with kind of two questions. And you may be thinking to yourself, Wes, that's really cool. God's not ice cream. I got it. But what, hap- what am I supposed to do with that desire? Like, what does that lead me to? Or, hey, Wes, I don't have that desire. What am I supposed to do now? What's cool, though, is that both of those questions have the exact same answer. And so that's what we're going to talk about today in Psalm 63. Uh, so if you will, if you are not there yet, Psalm 63, uh, we're going to open it up and be there. If you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, most of us, I think we'll be good. So uh, read along uh, to yourself as I read it aloud, Psalm 63. It says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power and all sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. And all who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The word of the Lord. This is a, it's one of my favorite psalms. One, um, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a, a small country church in, in uh, Olo, Mississippi. And uh, I very much remember uh, singing these first two verses. Uh, there was a song called, uh, Oh God, You Are My God, and I Will Ever Praise You. Yeah, so like five people know that. That's good. Look it up later. It's great. Uh, I remember singing that like in children's choir and like the, all those kinds of things. But it's not until I got older that I really understood what this psalm was talking about. So I want to give us a, a little bit of context about what's happening here. If your Bible is like mine, right under the top uh, of where it says Psalm 63, it has maybe something else right there. And mine says, a Psalm of David, so we know who's writing it, King David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now that's an important note for us historically and contextually, because it helps us know where David's at when he's writing this. David's not chilling at his house, Okay. And he didn't say, you know what would be cool? Let's go on a camping trip. So we're going to get close to God and, and be going on a camping trip. David's literally running for his life. He is fleeing. People are out to kill him. That is what is happening. There are people that are actively seeking to end his life because of what God has called him to do to be king of Israel. So he's fleeing. He's in the wilderness. And he writes, oh God, my God, earnestly I seek you. And he writes this beautiful psalm of desire and of praise because the answer to the question, what do I do with desire or what do I do if I don't desire, the answer to that question is worship. That's your answer. So if you're taking notes today on our response cards, and I hope you do, there's a note section in the white, on the uh, white-lined portion. Um, uh, the answer to the question of what do we do with desire or, or no desire for God is worship. So we're going to walk through this psalm, and I'm going to hopefully point out some things that it instructs us to do when it comes to worship. Uh, look with me in verse 1, uh, because first one both divine, defines this desire, but it also defines relationship. 
And that's where it all starts. It says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. So I'm going to stop us right there because English fails us. Again, this is Hebrew poetry. And if you're going to talk about poetry, you've got to talk about the language it's written because we don't get all the fun things. So uh, when it says, oh God, you are my God, what he's saying is Elohim, you are my El. And you're like, oh, that's really deep, Wes, thanks. Okay, what that means is Elohim was a, was, a, was a more close personal name with God. It's not Yahweh, it's not this covenant relationship name, but it's what they would call Elohim when they talked about God. Because um, they, they couldn't say Yahweh. It was said, you didn't say that name. That's God's personal holy name. We don't say it. So Elohim, you are my El, which is just like a general name for God, for all the gods. That's what everybody had, okay? So how David starts this psalm is saying, God, you are my God. He's establishing this relationship that exists. That would be like what we said earlier, talking about Jesus. Jesus, you are my Savior. Jesus, you are my king. Jesus, you are my God. That's what he's doing, and it's defining this relationship that builds into this desire. Because a fundamental part of desire is always a relationship between us and God. Think about that in your own life. Think about the people that you like to hang around, that you have relationships with. Maybe it's a friend or a coworker. Maybe it's a, a wife or a husband. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your kids. Um, but there's this idea of a desire to be with that person because you have relationship. Because I have relationship with you, I want to be with you, you know? And so when you take a break for two weeks and don't call people, I feel sad because I'm not with you. <laughs> that was a joke on Brandon. Um, it's fine. Um, but when people disappear from our lives, you know, all of a sudden that relationship's broken and we don't know what's happening. That's why ghosting is so difficult because you disappear. And there are people that have relationship with you or that you have relationship with that are no longer there. And I don't know how to deal with that. So with relationship always comes desire. Now, my version says, earnestly I seek you. But um, in in the old language, uh, King James, um, it said, early in the morning I seek you. Early I seek you. Because we know that desire starts at the beginning of the day. How many of you woke up this morning saying, where's the coffee pot? Nobody? Okay, I'm a, this, is, this is the audience participation point of our service. Okay, where's the coffee pot or the teapot or where's caffeine happening? Okay, because when you wake up in the morning, a lot of us think, okay, how am I going to get started today? For me, it's a shower. When I wake up in the morning, if I don't take a shower, then my whole day just falls apart. Anybody else? We need to t- we'll, have a, we'll have a hygiene clinic later. It's okay. We'll talk about it. Um, but what we, what we understand is that desire starts early. Desire is not something that we manufacture through the day. How we start the day is how we build out, how that desire sets the tone. And so what David's doing here is he's saying, I seek you first thing in the morning because I want to get you before I get anything else. I want to I get to you before anything else has an opportunity to crowd out my day. Now remember where David's at. He's hiding in the wilderness. There are things that are going to crowd out his day. For example, he might need food, might need water, Maybe he will continue to have to flee because he sees his enemies pursuing him. There are things that are going to fill his day. So he knows he has to start with the Lord. So we've established some relationship here, but this first verse also talks to us about desire. Look how he says, he says, My soul thirsts for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Another uh, translation said, My soul longs for you. 
And we've talked a little bit about that word longing, but uh, if you look at it, it means to languish or to pine. Anybody got dogs? Anybody? Okay, like this side of the room. Okay, thank you. All right, so I was like, I'm just talking to you now. No, okay, so um, I have three dogs. Um, They're a little ridiculous. Um, A lot ridiculous, if I'm honest. Uh, I have two chihuahuas and a, a terrier blue healer mix. Um, they're all mutts, and they're all great, but they are all spoiled. <laughs> they're spoiled, probably because my wife and kids, not me. Uh, I'm the, I have to set the tone here. Um, but the thing is, is that all of them pine at the table, and it's not my fault. It's really, it's, this is true. It's not my fault. Uh, it's my mom's fault, because my mom watched them for a week, and they would feed them from the table, and then all of a sudden, we come back, and we're watching our dogs, and they're, like, jumping on my lap and doing things like, what are you doing? Why are you pining for this? There's food right here. Well, their kibble is not as good as what's on our table, honestly. But they are pining. They're languishing. They're acting like they're, their whole life is over because they can't have what we have. That's what David's talking about in a very kind of humorous way. He's saying, my soul languishes. It pines because... Um, it's a desire that's so deep that the only word that can be used to describe it is longing. Okay? And what it means is that the only thing that can satisfy me is God. So what is a really pretty verse in poetry, it's got a lot in it, a lot of depth right there. Because we recognize that what's so, what David is really talking about are the desires of our souls and what is truly satisfying to us. If we continue, this is where David starts to answer the question about how this desire works itself. How does he fulfill it? He talks about going to worship. He says, so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Notice that David's looking for God in his sanctuary. He's looking to his sanctuary, but in the verse before, he says, I'm in a dry and thirsty land. So I'm in a place that you are not at. I'm in a dry and thirsty place. I'm longing for you but I'm looking towards your sanctuary and I'm beholding your power and your glory. This shows us that even in the midst of David's struggling time, even in the midst of his desert, he still can have communion with God. He can still worship there. Um, Charles Spurgeon wrote uh, a really cool statement about this. Uh, Spurgeon was a, a famous preacher in the United Kingdom a long time ago. And he says to us, he says, learn from this, And do not say that I will get into communion with God when I feel better. I'll, to put it in our language, I'll have a good relationship with God when I'm in a better place. When I'm feeling better, I'll do that. But long for communion now. It's one of the temptations of the devil to tell you not to pray when you do not feel like praying. So you pray twice as much then. It's a good quote And it helps us articulate this, I think, a little bit better. Uh, He's longing. I've looked into your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory from this place of dry and thirst and need and longing. And he's doing that because that's the only thing that's going to satisfy him. It's the only thing that's going to satisfy his soul. He's not saying, I walked into your temple and all of a sudden I have this desire for you. It's in the absence that he recognizes the desire. And he is crying out, seeking for him. It's because we, when we are in our most dry, our most vulnerable, our most empty places, that's when the desire for God should explode into worship within us. Because we want to see God high and lifted up. We want to behold his glory. 
That's why I love the last song that we sang, Christ be magnified, let his praise arise, because that's what it's about. It's about being in this place of recognizing that Jesus is worthy of all of our worship. He's worthy of all of our praise. And that should explode out of us in this, from this place of desire. And then we get verse 3. And honestly, this is one of those things that, like, if, if you are a memorizer of Scripture or not, this is one that you should. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Y'all, that's good. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David is giving us the reason for worship right here. That word steadfast love has been translated a bunch of different ways. It's the Hebrew word hesed. And it means a a never-ending, all-encompassing love. Okay? It's, it's this idea, of, it's been translated loving kindness, it's been translated steadfast love, covenant love, all different ways. But what it talks about is not just this love that God just gives us, but this deep love that encompasses our entire life. And notice what David says, that love is better than life. Meaning that that love is better, it's more precious to be desired over anything else. Because the love of God is not wearisome, it's not burdensome, and it's not empty. It's not an empty love. Instead, it's the love of God that pours on us that is so sweet, it's so fulfilling, that it's better than our everyday lives. That's why one of the, uh, the refrains that I've had in my own life within the past couple of years is that Jesus is better. He's better than anything else because his steadfast love is better than life. It's a superlative. It means that something in relationship to another, there's a relationship here, and Jesus is better. He's the better option, the better choice, okay? It's like ordering the spicy chicken instead of the regular chicken at Chick-fil-A. It's a better choice, okay? Shots fired, I know. It's okay. Um, But (laughs) that was just to wake you up. I saw some eyes. Okay, the fact is, is that Jesus is better than life. He is more precious than life because his steadfast love is better. But notice that we often stop there, right? We stop right there. Jesus is better than life. Good, done, I've taken that in. And that makes us very passive. But this is not a passive verse, it's active. Jesus' love, because your steadfast love is better than life, there's an action that follows. My lips will praise you. It leads us to worship. See, when we just accept the love of God and say, I'm just walking in his love, I'm walking in his grace, okay? (laughs) We're just taking it in. Do you know what that makes us? It makes us a consumer. And God's not a capitalist. God doesn't want you to consume him. He wants a relationship. Because if the only time that I went to my family, my wife, my kids, the only time I went to my friends was when I just wanted to consume something from them, we, we wouldn't have much of a relationship. And if we did, it wouldn't last very long. God's the same way. He doesn't want you to just consume his love and say, oh, well, my life's great because Jesus loves me. No, no, no. <laughs> Jesus is better than life. So you, you worship him. You praise him. It erupts out of you. Because the way we both satisfy our desire and longing for God and the way that we restart that desire if it seems to fade 
is through worship. And that's where he leads us in verse 4. And this is what I love. He says, so I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. If you wanted a biblical reason of what worship looks like, here you go, in one verse, because it's both verbal and physical. Now, I'm going to do my really, really best not to switch into college professor mode because I teach communication, and this is one of the things that I get nerded out about, so I'm going to try to pull back, so you keep me accountable to this. But notice what he says. My lips will praise you. There is a verbal component to worship. Things must be spoken or sung. Why? Because when we say things out loud, we hear them. It's instructive to us. It helps us take it in. But there's another reason. You don't have to flip here. I'll do it for you. In Matthew, Jesus says something about the mouth that's pretty important. He's talking to the Pharisees, and he's talking about how our uh, fruit, the things that we do, is how we prove who we are. In verse 34, he's talking again to the Pharisees. It's a little strong right here. He says, you brood of vipers. So again, it's a little strong. But he says, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My lips will praise you. I will bless you. There's a verbal component because it's out of the abundance of our hearts and it's out of the abundance of that desire that we can speak. It's important that we do that because when we verbalize praise to God, we're instructing ourselves back what praise looks like. It's like a feedback loop. But it also is how we express the overflow of our hearts. Uh, that word bless, though, kind of trips some people up. Because when we think of blessing, we think of doing something good for somebody. At least that's what I do. Uh, when, uh, you know, Britter says things, Britter's my wife, she will often bring people little gifts, and she's like, here's a little happy. I just wanted to bless you. And when we moved up here, people were like, I don't know what you mean <laughs> by happy. <laughs> like, this, this doesn't make me happy. I, I appreciate the gift, but like, there's no happiness in it. It's just a gift. No, it's, it's this idea of, of a blessing. We do that for people, right? Like if you took somebody out for coffee and paid for their coffee, you're just like, oh, just, I wanted to bless you. Just wanted to do that for you, okay? Uh, if, you <laughs> if you took people out to lunch, you did that. Or if you um, give people food or give people a place to stay, like you're just, I just wanted to be a blessing, okay? God doesn't need us to bless him that way. And that's not what this means, okay? God doesn't need us to do things for him. He is all-sufficient. What it says is, I will bless you as long as I live, meaning I'm going to worship you as long as I live. I'm going to put the emphasis on you as long as I live. But it's not just verbal, it's physical. I will lift up my hands. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Now, I know I'm talking to some people, maybe from some, some Baptist backgrounds for a minute, so, you know, we're just going to deal with this. It'll be okay. But when he talks about lifting up his hands, that was a common posture of prayer in the Middle East. It still is, okay? We lift up our hands to pray. Do you know why? Because a physical posture can reflect and determine a heart attitude. So when we lift our hands in prayer and in praise, it says two things. It says, one, God, I need you. <laughs> I am surrendering. I am desperate for you. And two, I am receiving from you. Okay, it's two things there. Um, the thing about this is, and this is where I'm going to not nerd out for very long about communication. Communication is always mostly nonverbal. 80% of everything that you say and communicate is nonverbal. It's through body language. It's through uh, tone of voice. It's through facial expressions. That's why my mama would say, don't look at me with that tone of voice. 
okay? <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm going to use that. That's good. <laughs> All right? And what's bad, though, and this is what's really sad since the pandemic and since we, we, we've lost a lot. If you if, Go talk to a K-12 teacher. <laughs> they will tell you kids don't know how to be social anymore. They don't know how to communicate. Now, masks were really good for me because I can't hide my feelings sometimes. And so when I would wear a mask, all of a sudden I could smile with my eyes and not be smiling here. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else in that club? Okay. We don't have that anymore, which is good <laughs> because we got used to hiding. I work on Zoom every day. I'm on video conferences every day. It's really annoying to the other people in my house. But we get used to hiding because I can turn my camera off when I don't need them to see what my facial expression is. You know what? We can't do that to God. You can't turn the camera off. You can't put a mask on. Because God isn't looking at your face. He's looking at your heart. And our physical posture reflects the attitude of our heart. So why do we lift up our hands in prayer and praise? Why is that an accepted and good worship stance? Because it says, God, I need you. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but it's also a symbol of a child reaching out to a father. My kids are 10 and 8. <laughs> They're here and, and fighting with each other and who's going to be taller the next day. And they still come up to me like this. And I'm like, look, I haven't been to the gym in a bit, so we, we, can't, we can't do much of this, but I can do this. <laughs> God's not limited by that. He can pick us up. And that's what worship is. It's a reaching out and recognizing that he is good. And he's a good, good father who wants us. But the other thing is about that, if we're in worship and this is our posture, if this is our posture, what does that show? And I'm not talking about what does that show to the people around you. I don't care what the other people around you are thinking. I'm talking about what does it show to the person you're communicating with. Does that show openness? Does it show acceptance? Does it show that I need you? Or does it show resistance? That's why worship is always both verbal and physical. No, I'm not telling you. Don't walk out of here and say, Wesley told me that if I did not raise my hands in worship and while we were singing songs, then I'm not worshiping. That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> so let me be clear. But I am saying that your physical posture helps determine your heart's attitude. And they should reflect the other. So, in verse 5, David continues, and he says this really cool statement, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Anybody like chicken Alfredo in here? Anybody? Okay. You like the white sauce? That's because it's all fat. Okay. It's butter and cream and garlic, and it is amazing. I'm not saying, don't boo. I'm just saying we got to recognize where good things are. Okay. <laughs> it is good because it satisfies, right? My ice cream is good. It's all fat. Fat's not bad. Well, we'll argue later. Um, what he's talking about, he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. He's talking about a deep satisfaction that comes from recognizing that a desire has been met. Because we meet our desire for God and worship. So this idea of this sat being satisfied with fat and rich food, you have sat at the table, hopefully, and had to push back for a minute and loosen your pants and go, whew, 
I'm out. I'm done. Maybe it's just me. If you haven't experienced that, you're invited to Thanksgiving at my house this year. We will make that a thing for you. But it's a, de- it's a deep satisfaction that only comes from seeking God. And the result of that is worship. No, we're right back to praising God with joyful lips. And that's important because David, remember where he's at. He doesn't have a lot to be joyful about circumstantially. He's in the wilderness. He's on the run. But his lips will still praise him with joy because it's the object of our desire. In verse 6, he continues this because he shows us that worship happens both day and night, right? He says, "Um, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. That watches of the night talks about that slow, steady watch of the night. Maybe you've had a night where you look at the clock and it's 11 and then you roll over and you look back at the clock and it's one and you roll over and you look back at the clock and it's three. Anybody been there? Okay. So we're not talking about the the issues of insomnia here, but he is talking about it's the nights when the mind is awake and it's filled with that sense of stillness and solitude that only the early, early morning and late, late night can do. What does he do? I meditate on you. Worship happens there too. It's in the remembrance, in the meditation on God. And what is he meditating on? What is he remembering? Look at verse 7. For you have been my help. He's remembering what God has done for him. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. That image, the shadow of your wings, is a common image in the Psalms. And it's this image of a, of a mother bird who gathers her young underneath her wings. Okay? I know that was fun. Was that a fun? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> it's the image of a, of a mother bird who's, who's swooping up her children, her chicks, and she's bringing them close, okay? Because when it rains, she, she shelters them. When it's hard, she brings them. When there's danger, she brings them close. That's what he's saying. <laughs> From in that shelter, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy because there is no safer place to be than in the presence of our God. And it's from his presence that our souls can sing for joy. My favorite verse out of this psalm is verse 8. It says, My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. That word clings is so important to me. One, because I have a touch meter. Anybody else have a touch meter? You can only take so much touch in a day. I have a touch meter, okay? And it fills up really fast on Saturdays. Because as soon as I exit the bed, my children are like, Dad, whoa. And so about 10 a.m., I'm like, all right, we're done. <laughs> I need a break. <laughs> it's time for go, because I have a touch meter, okay? Um, but my soul doesn't. My soul clings to you. It's that image of, of it, it's an image of a child clinging to a parent, okay? If you've ever had a crying baby that is clutching its mother, and you were trying to take them from the, from the mother, you are not going to get very far. Blood will happen. There will be scratches. There will be sadness and much weeping. That's the image. That's the attitude. My soul clings to you. I can't be removed. Because that's how much I need you. And your right hand upholds me. It's in you that I have strength. See, that is an image of strength and unity between us and the Lord. It's communion here. And that leads us to this next little part from 9 through 11. Because if you're reading this psalm for the first time, you're like, oh, verses 1 through 8, they go really good together. What is he talking about in verses 9 through 11? We took a left turn. We're talking about people dying. We're talking about all these kinds of things. What it shows us is really important. The desire for God is not dependent on our circumstances. The relationship that David experienced with God 
was not dependent on its circumstances, nor did it take his problems away. And I think that's really important. Sometimes we think if I just got closer to the Lord, then he would solve this problem and I wouldn't have it anymore. And sometimes that's just not true. Our problems remain because we live in a broken world and we live with problems all around us. So David's response, though, is to trust him. And that's what we see in the last verse. The king shall rejoice in God and all who swear by him shall exult for the mouths of liars will be stopped. He's talking about himself. I will continue to praise you and the people around me will praise you too because they're going to see how you worked this thing out. Because I can't. Desire for God that lends itself into worship ultimately ends in trust. So, if you are here today and you're saying, you know what, I want to desire God more, the answer is worship. You're here today and you say, I need to trust God more. There are things happening in my life, I just need to trust him. You need to worship. (laughs) If you're here today and you're saying, I don't desire God and I don't know how to do that, you need to worship. Because those are the things that lead us to him. I'm going to invite the worship team back up, but don't, don't go away just yet, because I want to tell you a little bit more about this psalm as they're coming up. Um, this psalm instructs us for a couple of things. Remember that this psalm is, it, it does deal with emotions, and it's meant to stir up emotions in us. So hear the emotional appeals here. See God, see him as who he is, high and lifted up, worthy of our worship, but see him as our strength, the source of our joy the source of our refuge, a a mother hen collecting her chicks, a source of water in a deep and dry and thirsty land. See him as that and recognize him. The psalm instructs us that our lives are meant to live in worship. And I wish I had some more time today and we could look at multiple places throughout scripture that would teach us what worship looks like. Because worship is all things. It's all our lives. It's not just the singing of songs and the speaking of praises. It's not just the lifting up our hands. We recognize on this side of Jesus that worship is our entire life. It's how we live. It's how we move and how we breathe. But where I want to end, and why we're going to kind of go into response time here, is because this psalm needs to draw us into a deeper and more intimate relationship with the Lord. Listen to the first part of this psalm again. And if you will, close your eyes for just a second and just think. Listen and think. Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. I'm going to read to you another quick little passage of scripture from the book of Colossians. Because we um, are on this side of Jesus. 
we get to see Jesus as this object of, of worship. And Paul writes this beautiful hymn about him. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, if you are here today and you are struggling with this idea of desire, may I point you to Jesus this morning? Because he is the only one who's going to satisfy us that soul-deep knowing and longing for something better and something bigger and that soul-deep knowledge that there is something missing, the only answer is Jesus. So that's why we can join with David and say, God, you're my God. Jesus, you are my King, and earnestly I will seek you. So let today be the day that we seek him. Let's pray. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.